0: 2,000 years ago, on a Friday, Jesus Christ was crucified. And then on the next Sunday, two days later, Easter Sunday, he rose physically and miraculously from the dead. And that's why this coming weekend, Easter weekend, millions of Christians... All around the world are going to be taking time on Good Friday to think deeply about Jesus' death, and then on Easter Sunday to celebrate Jesus' resurrection. And it's so interesting that the passage that we have for this this afternoon, our next passage in Luke, perfectly prepares us for Good Friday and Easter. It's just beautiful how the Lord worked that out. Luke chapter 18, verses 31 to 43. So let's turn there. We'll have it up on the screen also. Luke 18, 31 to 43. This passage divides into two parts. First of all, in verses 31 to 34, Luke describes what Jesus says to his disciples about his coming crucifixion and resurrection. And then we see how the disciples respond. And then in verses 35 to 43, Luke tells us about how Jesus heals a blind man. We're going to take a look at both of these and then ask how they fit together. So let's start with this first section, verses 31 to 34, and ask, what does Luke teach us about Jesus' death and resurrection? What do we see here? And as I studied these verses, I saw four crucial truths about Jesus' death and resurrection. Start verses 31 through 33, where we see that Jesus knew the details of what he was going to suffer. Verse 31, And taking the twelve, he said to them, See, we are going to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles, and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise. Now, it's crucial that we understand that Jesus was not surprised by anything that he experienced in Jerusalem. He knew in detail what was going to happen to him. He was not shocked. He knew exactly what was going to take place. Look at the details that he mentions. Verse 32, he says he would be delivered to the Gentiles. And that's exactly what happened. Judas betrayed him to the Jewish authorities who then handed him over to the Romans, the Gentiles, and they bound him and led him away. That's what happened Thursday night. Verse 32, also he says he would be mocked. So the Romans knew that people were thinking Jesus was the king of the Jews. And so they mocked him in light of that. They put a purple robe upon him. They made a crown composed of thorns and crushed it down on his head, crowned this so-called king, and they laughingly, mockingly bowed down, pretending like they were in obeisance to him and submission to him. Jesus said he would be mocked. Verse 32, He says he would be shamefully treated. Example, they they blindfolded him and then took turns punching him and saying, now if you're a prophet, you'll know who just punched you. Who punched you? And mocking when he wouldn't be able to answer. Shamefully treated. He says he would be spit upon. Just feel the dishonor of that, the, the degradation of that, the disrespect notice he, he knew the details verse 33 he says he would be flogged rome had invented a whip which at the end of the strands had embedded sharp pieces of bone or or steel and so when you were flogged with it it would it would tear open your back and they only allowed 39 lashes with this flog because they thought that 40 would kill someone. That's what Jesus endured. He was flogged. And then Jesus says they would kill him. Other passages, he says, crucified. He knew he was going to be crucified. And this was the Roman invention of a horrifying way that they killed their worst criminals, subjecting them to hours of Absolute humiliation and, and horrifying pain. You, you know what happened when somebody was crucified. First, they were flogged, back torn open. Then their hands would be nailed to the crossbeam, and feet nailed to the vertical beam, and then it would be lifted up. And in that position, the only way they could breathe was by pulling up on their nail-pierced hands and pushing up on their nail-pierced feet. And so every breath you took caused excruciating pain, crucifixion. And Jesus had seen people crucified. He grew up in a Roman-occupied area, Palestine. He knew this was how they were going to kill him. And worse than that, he knew that while he was on the cross, he was going to be receiving God's wrath, the punishment that you and I deserve for our sins. He received and and was punished for the sins of everyone who would trust him, crucified. But then, on the third day, he would rise again. Jewish calendar counted like Friday was day one, Saturday day two, Sunday day three, so Jesus died on Friday, second day he was in the tomb, Saturday, and then third day, Sunday he rose, physically, miraculously, from the dead. And so here, Luke wants us to understand by quoting these words of Jesus, that Jesus knew the details of what he was going to be experiencing in Jerusalem. He knew what was coming. That's the first truth. Second truth is that Jesus was choosing to suffer all of this. Choosing. Verse 31. And taking the twelve, he said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem. Men, we're going to Jerusalem. And everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. So even though Jesus knows all of what's going to happen to him, what I've just described, he's leading the way there. They're not walking in front of him and he's kind of slowly being dragged along. Men were going to Jerusalem. He's choosing to go to Jerusalem. He's planning on suffering these things. He's leading the way. That's the second truth. Third truth, this is so powerful. Jesus' death and resurrection had been prophesied by the Old Testament prophets. Verse 31, again, taking the 12, he said to them, see, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about The Son of Man, now those words there, the Son of Man, that's a phrase that Jesus often uses to describe himself, taken from the book of Daniel, chapter 7. Everything that is written about the Son of Man, about me, by the prophets, will be accomplished. So think about this. Jesus growing up, five years old, six years old, maybe in his teens, 11, 12, 13, 14, in his 20s, at these years, having the scroll of the Old Testament prophets before him, and reading about things that he knew were prophecies about him, what he was going to suffer, what he was going to experience. Let me give you some examples. Psalm 22, 1, which he quotes on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Psalm 22, verse 7. All who see me mock at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord? Let him deliver him. Mocking. Psalm 22, 16. They have pierced my hands and my feet. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing cast lots. Picture Jesus, 10 years old, 20 years old, Reading these prophecies. Isaiah 53, verse 3. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Isaiah 53, 5. He was wounded for our transgressions, our sins, and crushed for our iniquities. Isaiah 53, 6. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him, the Messiah, Jesus, the iniquity, the sin of us all. And then Psalm 1610, this is a prophecy about the resurrection. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, the place of the dead, or let your Holy One See corruption. So these were all prophesied hundreds of years before Jesus. And he's saying to his disciples here, the things that the prophets said about me will all be fulfilled. He knew the prophecies of what he was going to be experiencing in Jerusalem. And he was choosing to go. And everything that God had prophesied was fulfilled. This was all pre planned, predestined by God. And Jesus knew it and he. Went. Fourth truth. The disciples did not understand these truths. Did not understand. Verse 34. But they, the disciples, understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them, and they did not grasp what was said. They didn't understand anything of what Jesus was saying. It's not that the words were all that complicated. They're not complicated. It's not that he was using flowery, figurative, allegorical speech or something. Not at all. Plain words is what he is giving to them. The problem is that they could not imagine how these things could happen to Jesus, the Messiah. How is that possible? Because they knew Jesus was the Messiah. They knew that. The Old Testament had said the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem, he was going to preach good news, he was going to heal the sick, judge the earth, be king forever, and they knew Jesus had been born in Bethlehem, and they'd heard him preaching good news, and they'd seen him healing the sick, but what's this about him being betrayed? What's that? Being mocked, spit upon, crucified, what's that? They they, they couldn't see that. They hadn't seen that. They didn't get that. Why not? They had the same problem that we have all had. Same problem. The message of of a preaching, healing, conquering king, that Messiah made sense to them. The message of a mocked, flogged, crucified Messiah did not make sense to them. And we can all struggle with that. And that's where the disciples were at. Read verse 34 again. But they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them. And they did not grasp what was said. Now, what happens next? What does Luke write about next? It's a little bit puzzling. With no explanation, really no transition, Luke moves into a description of Jesus healing a blind man, a persistent blind man. So we have to ask why. Why does Luke bring this up next? Remember that the gospel writers didn't just write down, like, here's what happened in Jesus' life. The Holy Spirit led them to choose particular events from Jesus' life and to arrange them in ways and to highlight various facets about them so that particular truths were communicated to us that the Holy Spirit wants us to learn. The gospel writers carefully arranged the events in order to teach particular truths. And so we have to ask, why would Luke end this first section with the disciples not understanding anything Jesus says... And then tell us a story about Jesus healing a blind man. Why this arrangement? So let's dig into this next passage, and then we'll work on trying to answer that question. So what happens next in this next section? Start with verse 35. As he drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. So Jesus is traveling to Jerusalem, with his disciples, he's coming toward Jericho, and as he draws near, there's a beggar on the side of the road, a blind beggar on the side of the road. And just for a moment, put yourself in this man's shoes. I mean, I think we all have vision, we all can see here, but imagine that you were blind. Just imagine for a moment. Couldn't see anything. No sunrises. No sunsets, no blue skies, you couldn't see your father, you couldn't see your mother, you couldn't see your sister, your brother, you couldn't see anything, which means you couldn't work, you couldn't get married and support a family. All you could do was beg, sit by the side of the road and beg. That was your life, sitting by the side of the road day after day. Begging. Keep reading then in verse 36. There he is. He's sitting by the side of the road. And hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what this meant. And they told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. This man couldn't see anything, but he could hear. And, And he hears a voice, a couple of voices, hearing movements. He's he's hearing more voices. He can tell there's a crowd here. I mean, there's a crowd on this road right in front of me. And so he wants to know, what's going on? What's happening? Why is this crowd here? And some in the crowd said, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. Now, don't move past that too quickly. Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. That is true, Jesus was from Nazareth. Nazareth was north Palestine, the northern area called Galilee. And Nazareth, that whole area, was kind of looked down upon by the southern people, like not very educated, not very wealthy, uh, kind of out in the country, out in the sticks. I don't know what kind of words you use, but you get the idea? Just out there. Okay? Not, in fact, remember Nathaniel in John chapter 2, remember he says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? That's kind of like a proverb that was often spoken at that time. So the people in the crowd are saying, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. They're seeing some of the truth of who Jesus is, but they're not seeing the the big picture of what Jesus is. And we know that Luke wants us to pick up on that because Luke contrasts what they called Jesus with what the blind man called Jesus. Did you catch that? The blind man had just heard that the reason for this crowd in front of him is because Jesus of Nazareth is passing by, and look at what he says in verse 38. And he cried out, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. Son of David. Jesus, Son of David. He didn't cry out, Jesus of Nazareth. He cries out, Jesus, Son of David. And that shows that this blind man has some understanding of who Jesus is. Everyone who would read the Old Testament knew that the Messiah was going to be born in the line of David. The Messiah was going to be a king in the Davidic line. He was going to be an heir to David's throne. And that the Messiah was going to rule forever. And not just rule over Israel, but rule over the whole earth. That the Old Testament made very clear. So, this blind man understands a bit about the Messiah Jesus, son of David, king in the line of David, whose rule will go forever, and who's going to rule not just over Israel, but over the whole earth. That's what's in this blind man's heart. He understands that Jesus is the Messiah. And he's probably heard about people being healed, about blind people being healed. At the same time, it's clear that he understands he needs mercy. Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. He understands that he has sinned against God. And that there's no way that his goodness could ever make up for the sins he's committed against God. He knows that that path is hopeless. He could never be so righteous that that covers up or makes up for his unrighteousness. He knows that to receive anything good from Jesus is going to be mercy, grace, undeserved, unearned, freely given as a gift, which is why he cries out, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy upon me. Now, that made some of the crowd angry. They didn't like that. This man shouting, this man over on the side. Look at verse 39. And those who were in front, right there before him, rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more. I love this. Jesus, son of David, have mercy upon me. So I think the people in the crowd probably thought, I mean, Jesus is way too important to stop what he's doing to take care of this individual beggar, blind beggar here. So they rebuked this blind man, told him, be quiet, shut up, this is Jesus walking along here. And what does the blind beggar do? He shouts out all the more. Son of David, have mercy on me. Son of David, have mercy on me. Son of David, have mercy on me. Verse 40. And Jesus stopped. Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. Oh, I love this. And when he came near, he, Jesus, asked him, What do you want me to do for you? And he said, Lord, let me recover my sight. Jesus stopped. Which meant the whole crowd stopped. Everything has stopped for this blind man. I just have to say, don't ever think that your needs or concerns are too small for Jesus to stop. And pay attention to you. We sang about that earlier this afternoon. Jesus will stop everything to listen to you. He will. He stops everything and asks for the blind man to be brought to him. And he asks the blind man what he wants. And the blind man answers, Lord, let me recover my sight. Note that he now moves from calling Jesus son of David they calling him Lord. And that's significant. Then verse 42, Jesus said to him, Recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately, immediately he recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. So Jesus saw, he could tell, this man had faith. And what does that mean? What did Jesus see? What did Jesus hear that made Jesus see that he had faith? Well, the man knew that Jesus was the son of David, the Messiah in the line of David who was going to rule forever, that Jesus was Lord, and that the man knew that Jesus could heal his blindness, Otherwise, why ask him? I want to recover my sight, Lord. So he, he knew that Jesus could heal his blindness. He also was keenly aware of his own sin, though, and knew that he needed mercy. He needed mercy. And in response to his faith, Jesus healed him. So just imagine, again, put yourself in his shoes, that a minute ago, you were completely blind and had been for a long time. We don't know how long, but long time you've been blind. Not able to see anything. And now, instantly, you can see. You can see everything. What an incredible gift Jesus has given him. What a valuable blessing. I mean, from blind to see, that is awesome that Jesus would give such a, an amazing gift. But now notice what the blind man does. He does not sit there focusing on the gifts, just going around looking at everything. I'm going to head to the mountains. I'm going to go walk, watch over to the, watch, see the Sea of Galilee. I'm going to go see my brother. My, I mean, that's not what he does. What does he do? He follows Jesus you see that? He follows Jesus. He's rejoicing that he can see for sure, but he's not content with just seeing as amazing a gift as that is. He wants Jesus. He wants to be with Jesus Christ. He knows who this is. He can see him now too with his own eyes. He's heard of him, and that gave him faith, and he knew son of David. Now he sees him. He wanted Jesus which shows that what he had received wasn't just sight. What he'd received was salvation. Following Jesus is a sign of salvation. It's those who are saved who are trusting Christ who, who follow him. He'd received salvation. He'd received repentance. He'd received forgiveness of sins. And best of all, he'd received Jesus himself. Amazing. And all the people responded by giving praise to God. So that's Luke's second section. So now we can ask the question, why would Luke put these two sections together? What what does Luke want us to see here? Why end the previous section with the disciples understanding nothing of what Jesus had said and then tell the story about Jesus healing a, a blind man? Here's what I think it is. You can do some more studying and see if you see this, or maybe you'll have some other thoughts. But here's my answer to the question. is to show that just as Jesus healed this blind man from his physical blindness, so he can heal the disciples from their spiritual blindness. Just as Jesus was able to heal this blind man from his physical blindness, he can heal the disciples from their spiritual blindness. And the reason I say that is because that's exactly what happens in the last chapter of Luke's gospel. That's what Jesus does for the disciples. Look at Luke 24, verses 44 to 45. Here's the background to these verses. Jesus had been crucified in the tomb Saturday, raised from the dead Sunday morning. And later Sunday, Jesus comes to the disciples. He is there physically with them. When you read the earlier verses in this chapter, they are afraid. They have doubts. They're struggling with unbelief. There's still blindness that's there. And look at what happens in verses 44 and 45. Then he said to them, he, Jesus, said to the disciples, these are my words that I spoke to you While I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. What words is he talking about? The previous time when Jesus had spoken to him, words that he said about what was going to be fulfilled in Jerusalem was Luke 18, the passage we just looked at tonight. So Luke here Jesus here is referring back to those very words. Remember, brothers, the words that I said, you couldn't understand anything? There's a direct connection here between Luke 18 and Luke 24. Then verse 45. Then he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. Their minds had been closed. Closed. Don't understand anything. And then Jesus, by his power, opened their minds. He went through the scriptures with them. See this. So this means. See this? See this. See this. See this. Show them the scriptures. He opened their minds to understand the scriptures, just as Jesus opened the blind man's eyes. So Jesus opened the disciples. I'm sorry, the blind man's eyes. So he opened the disciples' minds, so they could understand the scriptures, and then look at. The impact that had on them in verse 52. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. Don't you love that? Minds opened, it's all coming together. This is Jesus, the Messiah. Just like he said, he was crucified, he was mocked. Oh, that was horrifying. He's risen from the dead. He is the Messiah, he is the King, he is the Lord, he is the Savior. They fall down, they worship, and they return to Jerusalem with great joy. They've been transformed by Jesus opening their minds. That's why I think Luke puts these two passages together. Just as Jesus opened the blind man's eyes, so he can open the disciples' blind man's eyes, the disciples' minds. And that's what he does here. And I think Luke wants us to understand. I think the Holy Spirit wanted Luke to put these together and then with Luke 24 so we can understand Jesus can do the same for you. He can do the same for you. What I would encourage you to do in light of this passage is this next week as we're moving toward Easter weekend. This week, take time. Open up last chapters of Matthew, last chapters of Mark, last chapters of Luke, last chapters of John, and read about Jesus' trial and being mocked and death and resurrection and pray, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus, help me to see, help me to feel, Some of you, and I'm I'm inviting, I'm urging all of you to do that, even if you're from a different religious background, especially if you're from a different religious background. And we are, by the way, glad you're here, if that's the case. But I want to challenge you to ask Jesus from a sincere heart, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. Help me to see, help me to understand, and then read. And those of you who are already trusting Jesus, who've already experienced Jesus opening your mind so that you could see and understand, but let me tell you, He has more for you to see of who He is. He has more for you to understand of what it means that He's the Messiah. He has more for you to feel as you worship and as you rejoice and as you're in awe of who He is. He has more for every single one of us that are here. And He will open our minds, heal our spiritual eyes, just as he did for this blind man. For some of you, those of you from a different religious background, that would mean salvation. That would mean that you will see Jesus for who he is and worship him, just like we read in verse 52, and be filled with great joy. You'll be forgiven for all your sins. You'll be reconciled to God. You will know the God who created you through Jesus Christ. And you'll know that you will have the joy of knowing him now and forever. It'll mean salvation for you. And for those of you who are already trusting Jesus, it'll mean a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon you, a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit, deeper worship, greater joy, stronger comfort, whatever it is that you need in your your heart. The result is, verse 52, they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. So this next week, as we move toward Easter weekend, focus on Jesus' death and resurrection in the Gospels and pray, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. Let's stand together. We praise you, Messiah Jesus, Son of David, that you have power to heal a man who is physically blind, whose eyes are not working, and you can restore blind man's vision. And we praise you for your power to open sinful people's hearts so that we can see and understand and trust and worship. Do that, Father, we pray. We praise you for redemption. We praise you for salvation. We praise you for what you can do. Pour out your mercy upon everyone here. We pray this next week. In Jesus' name, amen.